Hey everyone, this is Mike Skinner. I want to welcome you to the sermon podcast for Sweetwater Christian Church. We are glad that you are interested in joining us as we follow Christ. If you'd ever like to support our ministry financially or just learn more about us, head on over to sweetwaterchristian.org. Thanks and God bless. Well, it's good to be back with you all. Um, we are starting a new sermon series this morning. Uh, as I got back into town from my trip to South Carolina, uh, a couple days ago, I went over to my parents' house to watch the Ashes game, and they were cleaning out some boxes and getting rid of some of the stuff from their house, and, and they had a collection of all my sport trophies. Uh, we're like talking, we need wagons, okay, to, to get all these trophies out. I participated a lot as a kid, and uh, so I have lots of, of uh, medals to show for this. And uh, it brought back a lot of memories, and I came across this one and uh, thought I would bring it this morning to share. If you're unaware, um, I won an award in 1998 at the Houston Rockets Whiz Kids Training Camp. It's the Sportsmanship Award. Now, I know that you're probably thinking right now, this whole time, I personally knew the 1998 Houston Rockets Whiz Kids Training Camp Sportsmanship Award winner, and I have not been treating him with the respect that he deserves. <laughs> and so I expect now that you know, things will change a little bit around here. I'm told that this camp is not an invite-only camp, so anyone who had the money could go and, and went for a, a couple summers as a youth. Basketball was a big thing in my life, and this one particular summer, they were handing out the awards at the end of the camp, and it was from little kids to big kids, you know, elementary school to, to the seniors in high school, and I'm sure, you know, you had lots of great talent there. I'm sure there are people there who went on to great careers in high school and in college, maybe even professional ball, um, and they were handing out awards, and so you had, like, best shooter, best defender, best dribbler, and then, like, 10-year-old me, I come up with the Sportsmanship Award, and it's, it's Mike Skinner, and I come and I get this award. And now, you probably, one of the reasons don't know that I've been this award holder for so long is because humility is a big part of sportsmanship, <laughs> which is also why I've only had this award as an adult for like three days, and it's already part of a sermon. Um, <clears throat> didn't polish it. It's naturally that shiny. Calvin Murphy, I don't know if you're familiar with him, if you're from Houston, possibly. He's a kind of Houston Rockets legend. He's a Hall of Fame NBA player. Um, he was particularly kind to me as a kid. I don't know if my grandparents slipped him some cash and were like, pay attention to this kid. Um, and he had taken me aside after I won that award, and, and he said, you know what I like about you, Mike? He said, I, I like that you're a generous teammate. And it really meant a lot to me. I've got some really sweet pictures of me as a kid with, with Calvin Murphy, and I remember very specifically going home that day and asking my mom, what does generous mean? I was, Calvin Murphy told me I was a generous teammate today. And it, it strikes me that 20 years later, so much of my life is dependent on and conditioned by not so much being a generous teammate, but having generous teammates. I mean, my own life, my own personal life, I've had friends who have been very, very generous to me. And at times, this has just been in gifts or, or, or words of appreciation and thanks. At other times, there have been moments of need in my life where, where people with, with resources have stepped up and just said, we'll help provide for you here. Lindsay and I have been the benefit of so much generosity from friends and family members. You know, I, I lead an organization, this church, Sweetwater Christian Church, 
that is solely dependent on the generosity of other people. I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to think about. It's a weird thing as a leader to imagine that, you know, this thing doesn't exist. We don't do this unless there are human beings who wake up each day and they say, I'm going to take some of my resources and share it so that y'all can keep doing this. I, I joke with some of my friends sometimes, like maybe my mental health would be a little bit better if I was, you know, working for a corporation where they're set up to kind of give salaries just for a long period of time, just decades over and over again. Because by nature of working for a church, you can kind of like work yourself out of a career, right? I mean, the church doesn't have to exist. People don't have to decide we're going to generously give our, our money and our time and our resources to you. And so much of my life has been been a, a recipient of these, these teammates who have decided to be generous. I want to spend a few weeks talking about our calling as Christians to be a generous people. Generosity is a, is a rich theme throughout the scriptures, and it's something that so often we take for granted as Christians. And, and, and to be honest, we've taken for granted at the church largely because it's just always been there. The church has always been generous. And so there, there hasn't necessarily felt a need to, to remind us that we're supposed to be generous. But I think that through looking through the scriptures, through what they have to say about generosity, you and I will find that we can be blessed in in powerful ways. And so I want to spend a few weeks looking and, and, and following this theme throughout Scripture. And so to start this morning, I want to invite you generously to open up with me to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6 is where we'll be. If you have a black hardback from underneath the seat around you, this is page 994. 1 Timothy, it's a small book kind of stuck towards the back of the New Testament there. Chapter 6 is where we'll be this morning. Chapter 6 is, is where I wanted to start because it's one of the more explicit passages where we are instructed to be generous people as Christians. And yet, even in these instructions, I think there is something unique for us to focus on as we start. So let's read together 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age... Now, here's just a kind of Bible translation in real time, helpful guide. He's talking to you and I, the rich in this present age. I don't know what your financial situation is right now at this very moment. Some of us are probably doing pretty well for ourselves. Some of us might find ourselves in a very tight financial struggle. But both ends of that spectrum this morning, if you were to look at a global perspective and at a historical perspective, you and I are some of the richest people who have ever lived in human history. We're some of the, the most blessed people financially that have ever graced God's green earth. I know it doesn't always feel like that for some of you, but when the scriptures here are talking to those who are rich in the present age, she's, this is, a, this is a, a shout out to you and to I. Here's our message. Charge them. Paul says, not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. A couple things to notice about this passage. Notice that Paul is echoing Jesus' teachings on money and wealth, on treasures. Jesus says, work to build up treasures in heaven, through deeds of righteousness, not treasures on earth here, which will ultimately fail you and, and, and won't be eternal. 
Notice that even the, the command here to be generous, to do good and be ready to share. This is not purely altruistic. There's something in it for us, right? That we might, he says, take hold of life. That we might take hold of life. And even in this command, even in this charge for you and I, a certain type of people in the world with a certain type of resources, I want to focus this morning on the foundation of this command. You find it here when he says, set your hope not on, he says, the uncertainty of riches, but set your hope on God. And then he gives us a description of God. And it's this description of God, I think, that is the foundation for any sort of thinking about generosity and what it means to be generous. We're told that God here richly provides us with everything to enjoy. If we're spiritually healthy, whenever we're going to talk about what it is we're called to do or be in the world, it's almost always going to begin with understanding who God is and how he is in the world. And this is especially true, perhaps, of generosity. Notice, I want to zero in on this description about God. We're told that God richly provides us with everything to enjoy. This is not just a bare needs, your necessities have been met. No, God richly provides us with everything. And not just so that we could survive and serve him, but so that we could enjoy it. So the God described here in 1 Timothy, in the context of a command for you and I to become generous people, is a God who is himself generous. We perhaps don't always think about generosity as being part of God's character or nature. It kind of goes hand in hand with God's love. But it is true here in this passage and throughout Scripture that God is defined and described over and over and over again as a generous God, as a God who gives abundantly and freely is a God with infinite and eternal resources who shares those with us. One of my favorite, favorite images, pictures of God's generosity comes from Psalm chapter 36, verses 7 through 9. I'll read it for you. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. Here's the picture that I really like. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. They feast on the abundance of your house, and you give them drink from the river of your delights. For with you is the fountain of life, and your light do we see light. The psalmist looks out on creation and says, What's happened is God from his house prepared a feast for humanity. And that feast comes from his abundance. And their drink, it comes from the river of his delights. God here is described as a generous God. It's, it's part of who he is. It's an attribute of him, which means it's not just something God decides to do at a certain point in time. It's something true about God as he is for all of eternity. And one of the ways that, that you and I can more helpfully understand this truth is by reminding ourselves that for Christians, God is triune, which means God is community, relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. For all of eternity, God has been generous towards himself. The Father withholds nothing from the Son, and the Son withholds nothing from the Father. And the Son and Father withhold nothing from the Holy Spirit. There's an artist that I enjoy his, his paintings. He's a Christian artist. He has this, this picture of the Trinity kind of re- replicating an icon. 
from the early church, and it's these three people sitting around a, a table, and their arms are overlapping as they reach out in a circle, and they're each holding a glass, and they're pouring wine in the other person's glass, and the glass is overflowing. And it's a, it's a picture of what God has been doing for all of eternity. For all of eternity, there have been three glasses, and for all of eternity, they've been pouring into those other two glasses, and for all of eternity, those glasses have been overflowing. And what, what happens when you and I experience God's generosity is we're simply experiencing who God is at his core, who he's always been, who he'll always be. This is why he acts the way he acts in history and towards us. This is why we experience him as a generous God. Before you and I are called or expected to be generous, you and I are invited to catch a glimpse of a God who is more generous than perhaps our imaginations can handle. And I wonder if we always think about God this way. You know, it's very easy for us to project our insecurities or our experiences or our fears upon God. And for us to experience God perhaps as not so generous. I would wonder, when you think about God, when something occasions you to think about God, not writing or speaking or giving the right answer, but, but just in your own heart and your own soul, when you think about God, does the image that comes into your mind, I mean, do you think of him as more of a giver or as more of a taker? Is God the type of person who's going to leave you with more than you had to begin with, or is he the one who's going to take something from you? Will you have less than you had before your encounter with him? Is he a giver or is he a taker? Do we think of God as tight-fisted or as open-handed? Is all that God is and has, is it something that only selectively, restrictively, after conditions are met, seep out of his clenched fist? Or is it something where the hands are open and the, the abundance is pouring? Do we, do we approach God with the spirit of begging and bargaining, hoping that this time we'll finally get what we need? Or do we approach God with an expectation of being overwhelmed, of having our provisions met? Do we see God as a God who richly provides everything for us to enjoy? This morning, all I want us to do is to marvel at the generosity of the Godhead, of the triune God, of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, to catch a glimpse of his beauty manifested in his generosity, to dial into all that God has given us, how generous he's been with us. Because I think for so many of us, if you're like me, your default mode is to focus on all that you don't have and all the things that you don't think have gone right for you, all the situations that aren't the exact way you'd prefer them to be. And I think that we can be blessed by understanding God in his nature as the God of blessing. You know, it's good to have generous friends. Let me tell you from experience. It's, very, it's, a, it's a good situation. If you had to choose between having friends who had resources and liked you and wanted you to enjoy those resources and not having those friends, choose the first one. I highly recommend it. And so it is overwhelmingly good news if this is indeed the case, that God is this way, if God is this type of generous, it is great news for us. I mean, it's a great deal. You and I have found ourselves hitting the jackpot in life, in existence. 
I have a friend, his name is Bill. Bill's had a tough week. We need to pray for him. I want to invite you to pray for Bill with me this morning. You might have heard of him. His full name is Bill Gates. I call him Bill. <laughs> Friday, Bill got bad news. Friday, it came out that Bill no longer holds first place as the world's richest man. Because of some movement in the stock market, the owner of Amazon, Jeff Bezos, he now has first place. He's now considered the richest man in the world. Our prayers are with him during this time. Jeff and Bill are finding themselves battling out for number one here because they have a net worth that hovers right now around $110, $105 billion. Some of us are doing well for ourselves, but not that well, at least it's not what your tithing is reflecting. <laughs> I'm not one to ask for or beg for money, but if we're in the billions of net worth, I think we could be doing a little bit more. It's interesting. We've got human beings like Jeff, Bill. I'm just imagining if I keep using their first name, this is going to like, you know, manifest into a friendship in real life. <laughs> Weirder things have happened. You've got these two individuals who have more wealth than I've got to imagine most of us can even like hypothetically conjure up in our minds. I mean, one billion dollars. I mean, think of having twice that much. I mean, just keep going. A hundred billion dollars. I'm told by people who do math, and, and so I'll just trust them on this, that if your net worth is around $100 billion, then it's pretty safe to say you're probably earning about $300 every second at least, which means it is a waste of your time to pick up a $100 bill off of the floor, right? I mean, you're losing money by using your time to leave it there. I'll pick it up, okay? This is a good use of my time. But if we were going to try to imagine a person with wealth beyond that which we can imagine. If you're going to try to imagine a person with limitless resources who could do or provide whatever they wanted to do or provide, we perhaps have a unique chance of doing so. Because in our world, these people exist. The ultra-rich. Bill Gates, $105.6 billion. Now, Bill Gates is an interesting character because he also is perhaps the most generous human being who has ever existed. If you follow the estimates right now, most people think he's probably donated anywhere between 35 to $40 billion. If you were to take the entire global aid budget, so all of the money that all human beings in the entire world give to other people in charity each year, Bill Gates alone makes up 38% of that money, his charity. It's very generous. I mean, we might debate how generous that is when you've got the $100 billion behind you. But let me, let me just let you know that that's not going to keep me from accepting his generosity. <laughs> And if we are to believe the scriptures, and perhaps this is a way for us into the, the truth of the scriptures here, then the wealth that Bill Gates possesses, compared to God, 
makes them look poor. Makes them look like a pauper. Makes them look like a servant. It's kind of embarrassing how little it is. And if we were going to compare the generosity of Bill Gates compared to the generosity that we're told God exhibits in the scriptures, it would make him seem like a hoarder, like an evil, selfish, greedy person. The God of the scriptures is a God who is generous beyond measure. I think there are three things that I, I think might help us get into an understanding of God's generosity this morning. And so real quickly, I want us to reflect on these three things. The first is, one of the ways we can see God's generosity is as it's reflected to us in creation, as, as it's reflected to us in just everything that exists. So this is for everybody, right? Whether you're a believer or not a believer, no matter what your situation in life is, we look out at creation and what we see as believers is a situation where God has given us a whole lot for nothing. We look at creation and we see a God who doesn't seem to cut corners or run out of creativity, who seems to have endless resources, and not only creates all of this amazing stuff, but then gives us the capacity to enjoy and appreciate it. So whether you're a jungle person or a desert person, it's there for you to say, that's cool. And whether you're a fish person or a bird person, it's there for you to marvel at. And whether you're a geologist who looks for the oil or you're looking up at the stars and the galaxies, there's a picture for you of the limitless resources of God. His generosity abundant in creation. A God who knows no limits to his resources and has, out of no necessity or need, out of just simply an overflow of his own generosity, decided to share it with you and I, free of charge. Regardless of what your beliefs are, regardless of your experience in life, I think this is something we can all share this morning. There are certain things just inherent in life and the breath that we have been given and the things around us that we can enjoy with that breath that can make us appreciative of something that's just been given to us, that we didn't choose, that we didn't bring into existence. And it might make us go, what a generous God has to stand behind this. We can see God's generosity reflected in creation, but perhaps most Intensely, we can see God's generosity reflected in salvation, and in particular, in the offering of his Son to us, for us. So we believe that God, out of love, John 3.16, sent his only Son into the world, that you and I might receive and have life. And Jesus, as a human, God incarnate, he models the character of God as a generous God. And, and so when the wine runs out at the wedding, he, he turns water into wine. But it's not just like wine that'll do and just a little bit of it, right? It's more wine than they need and the best wine that they've tasted. It's, it's just an overflow. And when the crowds gather around and there's no food, he, he makes fish and bread. And if you remember, there's just too much bread. It just fills a basket after basket after basket. God's generosity on display in the life of 
Jesus. This is one of the reasons we have to start with who God is before we even get around to thinking about how we might act as generous people, because if we don't understand the limitless resources God is working with as he pours out his blessings in our lives, we might take a false step when we think about why we might not try to hoard on to all of it. If we don't understand it as coming down and more and more and more, and there's no end to it, then we might try to keep it inside of our cup. We might not understand the logic of it. Instead of encouraging it to flow out into our cup, to be good and share and be generous and to find life in that generosity and that reflection of God's own life, we might think, let me hoard this for myself. I don't know when it will stop coming. But Jesus shows us who God is. And Jesus, he shows us a unique aspect of God's generosity in contrast to, say, Bill Gates' generosity. God's generosity is a kind of generosity that's personal, and it's costly, and it's transformative. So if if Bill Gates were to come and say, hey, I want to be generous, I'd say it's sweetwaterchristian.org slash donate tax-deductible. I'll do an interview on your Netflix documentary. Sing your praises. But if he came to me and he said, look, I can give you $4,000 or I can spend four hours with you, I'm going to say, look, I don't want to ask for too much, so just give me the money and you can, you know, do what you need to do with your time. I don't want to be a rude person. I'll just take the money. I'm not too interested in Bill Gates himself. I'm sure he's an okay person to certain people. But God's gift to you and I involves much more than just like an external transaction. It involves much more than just external stuff. It does involve that. That's what we see in creation, right? God creates stuff and he gives it to you and I to enjoy. And if that were all that there was, that would be enough for us. But instead, God offers his son. His son comes out of love, becomes a human being, steps down out of this eternal dance with unending and unimaginable joy for all of eternity to become a human being, taking on the form of a servant, even then to go from taking on the form of a servant to taking on the form of a crucified criminal, offering his very life for us. God's generosity is costly. What is God willing to give for you and I? I mean, can we fathom this? Is this not at the, the point where our belief system has to like take a time out and go, I mean, is this a real thing that human beings can believe? This is either the best news that's ever been told or the, the craziest news that's ever been told. God gave his life for you and for I. His sacrifice was costly. His gift is personal. So salvation is not an external transaction that we receive. It's not just a tangible thing that we have, like he gives us a credit card that gets us into heaven. Understood properly, salvation is actually the gift of God himself. Right? I mean, this, this, this eternal love that the Father and Son have shared In the gift of God's Son, we're told that you and I, being united with him in faith, 
I've been adopted into this family. It's not just that God in eternity creates great stuff and then offers that stuff for us to experience. It's that there's a step beyond this. Where that stuff came from, the source of that stuff, you also get invited into. The person behind it, the relationships behind this, is not something that stays foreign or apart from you and I as God's children. Adopted as sons and daughters, brought into God's very own life. The joy that is promised to us, the life promised to us, is none other than God's own joy. It's none other than God's own life. God is a generous God. I mean, at this point, we have to wonder if the word still works. Generosity. Another way we could perhaps peer into the generosity of God is is by thinking about the the Holy Spirit. In Titus 3, chapter 6, we're told the Father through the Son has kind of washed us immeasurably with with gifts through the Holy Spirit. And and sometimes we we kind of don't focus on this or think about it when, when in reality we could just camp out here for a very, very long time. But the scriptures would tell us that one of the things that is ours as believers is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, as God himself, again, gives gifts to you and I, that we have things we would not have otherwise. We enjoy things we would not enjoy otherwise because of the Holy Spirit poured out into our lives and communities through Jesus, the Father, Son. We can think of these gifts in a couple different ways. You can think of these gifts as the things about you, kind of the natural strengths or tendencies that you have, kind of the things that develop in your personality. One of the things the Holy Spirit does when he comes into a believer's life is he redeems those gifts. So like you might have been born or, or you grew up in a certain way and, and, and you developed kind of an, an intelligence or you developed an ability to be social. And unredeemed, these are things that can be used for evil purposes. I mean, you can use your intelligence to be violent or greedy. You can use your ability to be social and relate to other people, to manipulate them for your own purposes, to use them and abuse them and get away with it. But in Christ, the Spirit comes into our lives and and takes those things that seem to be strengths of ours and he redeems them. And so now our intelligence can be used for the kingdom and to serve God and his people and the world. And our, our social abilities can be used for the kingdom to serve God and his people and the world. This is one of the ways the Spirit has blessed us with gifts, capital S, spiritual gifts. Another way is is if we believe the Scriptures, there are gifts that you have now as a believer that we have as a community of believers that we did not have before. These are not like so-called natural gifts. These are supernatural gifts. I say so-called because you show me the thing that you think belongs to your personality, and if you give me enough time, I will show you where and how that is really a gift from God. You show me the thing you earned or accomplished with those gifts and give me enough time and I will take you back to a point in which you did not ask, choose, or deserve to be born in that place, to that family, to have this or that opportunity, 
You say, I work hard. Well, I know a lot of people who have medical issues that take away their ability to focus and be motivated. You say, I'm intelligent. I know a lot of people who were born with different types of intelligence and in ways that our world considers practically brainless. You say, I can run fast and jump high. I know people who were born without legs or arms or paralyzed. All of these things, they all originate back from the God who we're told in the Scriptures is the giver of every good and perfect thing. But as believers, we have these spiritual gifts that we're told they kind of come out of the blue from the Holy Spirit. And we, we, we all want to attain sometimes to the more like, I don't know, I call them the sexy gifts. But it really takes everything to make, to make the kingdom work, to make the church function and healthy. And so like preaching for me is one of these things where, where I guess I talked a lot before I was a Christian, but, but no one had really ever asked me or affirmed me to speak in front of people. I failed speech class a couple times. But, but looking back and kind of be like, okay, maybe there was some natural gifting there. But it's also one of those things where the, the first few times I did it, I was like, this is God clearly illustrating to the whole world that this is not my gift. This is not what I should be doing. And yet it, God's people have affirmed that in me. And I can't do much more than say there, there's some kind of work of the Holy Spirit there. But serving through patience in your home is no less a spiritual gift. I've met some of your family members. It's supernatural to be patient. (laughs) Volunteering in our kids' ministry. Greeting people. Cleaning up. I mean, it takes all of these gifts this beautiful thing called the church to function and thrive and grow and make an impact in the world. You've been given these things. We've been given these things. If you don't believe me, we can tell you stories. I mean, you'll, you'll hear in the next couple of weeks very specific, very recent things where even just our very small, seemingly insignificant church community makes a big impact in these subtle, interwoven ways where people's gifts and callings and opportunities meet. And in all of it, I think we're called to stand back and go, how generous a God we serve. When we think about God, do we see God as a giver or as a taker? Do we see God with a tightly closed hand or a graciously open hand? We come to God as a beggar and with bargains. Or do we approach him with expectations of abundance and provision? I want to close in two ways this morning. The first is a way that we do every week, and yet every week it still astonishes me at how perfect it is. For worship. And in a minute, we'll come to the table. And at the table, in an embodied, concrete way, we have the act of God's generosity in Christ on display for us. As you come to the table this morning, I invite you to really reflect on all that, all that this bread and juice means and represents and 
is, God's gift to you. Understand that God's gifts are not just a past thing. God's gifts, because of the nature of who God is, they're they're always forward-facing as well. Here's what I mean by this. You will always be invited to the table. There will never come a point in your life where this invitation ends. Whether it's here on a Sunday morning, across the world, God in Christ will always say, here I am given for you. Come and taste, come and eat. Or we could echo this psalmist's words and we could say, let us feast at the abundance of your house. Let us take drink from the river of your delights. This morning, reflect on that as we come to the table. And I would encourage you, perhaps, you know, we we try not to put rules around what happens at communion. And there aren't really rules around what happens at communion beyond just a pure and gracious, generous invitation. But maybe I would encourage you this morning to, to, as you receive the bread and the juice, One of the reasons that the church does it this way is because the gift of of God in Christ is in this time and place mediated through God's people. I know that makes it seem like we're way too important, but it's just the case. God in Christ comes mediated through his people. Even if you're by yourself in the jungle with the scriptures, the scriptures were produced by God's people, right? The message comes down to us through the church. Communion is not something we give ourselves, it's something God, through the people he has called into his family, offers us. And I would encourage you, if you don't do this naturally, it was only a few years ago that I started doing this, to affirm the reception of that gift. I, I like to say amen. This means this is true. So in, in, in a minute, Cheryl's going to pull out bread for me, and I'm going to be invited to dip it into this cup and she's going to say this is the body of Jesus and this is his blood and it's going to be an act of faith for me to say perhaps at a time when it's hard to say this perhaps at a time where it doesn't feel like this perhaps at a time where the circumstances would indicate otherwise for me to say yes this is I'm here I accept it and then the other thing I invite you to do this morning as we begin our time in a moment of silence, I want to give you a minute or two minutes before I pray and we transition into communion to meditate, to think. Right now, here in this place, let's not give a chance to get distracted or get into a conversation or get into the car. But right now, list off, think about, identify, hold on to, notice the blessings God has put into your life, the gifts that he has given you. Be as specific as possible, not blanket statements. It could be things in creation, as simple as a sunset or the temperature or a pet. It could, be, it could be the gift of God's son, the salvation. Maybe it hits you in a certain way this morning and you appreciate it. It, it could be the way that the Holy Spirit works in order to put us in positions to serve and use our talents or, 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 or puts his people in positions to serve and use their talents to serve us and build us up? What are the specific ways this morning that you can identify and name and hold on to that illustrate the generosity of God? Let me invite you now for a minute, maybe two minutes to sit there, meditate, name, identify, 
hold on to. And then after a moment of silence, I'll pray and, and we'll be invited to the table.